Thank you all for coming out this morning. We have a beautiful day today. It's a few degrees cooler today uh, than it has been. We've got a nice breeze coming through. You guys are taking advantage of the shade, uh, so that's wonderful. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. And I know if you, if you look through the newspaper or if you get your news through Google or Yahoo or wherever you get your news from, uh, it, things are looking a little scary right now. I mean, we got the pandemic still raging, especially in other parts of the country where they're experiencing uh, more surges. And hey, this, this is something completely different because here we are in the middle of July. What virus lasts this long, you know? Uh, and and uh, so we have that going on. We have, a, of course, the, the economic is the economy is still uh, in shambles, and Congress and the president are scrambling to come up with a solution for that. You got uh, things going on in the world with uh, China and Iran apparently becoming buddy buddy together now, forming some kind of coalition. And, and we have things going on in our own families. We have a lot going on right now. We have a lot that we have to be praying for. We have our VBS coming up this week. Pray that God brings those kids and families who need to hear about Jesus out to that uh, and that their hearts will be touched and that some would even put their faith and trust in Jesus from that week and, and start a growing relationship with, with Almighty God. But in spite of everything that's going on in this world and in this country and even in our own homes, Psalm 26, the very last verse of Psalm 26 says, My feet are set upon level ground. My feet are set upon solid ground. I will praise the Lord in the congregation. And here we are. Yeah, of course, it's a lot different here. We're split up into three different groups here. Uh, but we are praising God together in a congregation in the body of Christ. And we know there are some who are either uncomfortable uh, joining with anybody <clears throat> at this point in time, or there's something else going on, or they're dealing with health issues, but we know that they're worshiping with us in spirit. And so we know that in spite of everything going on in the world, our God is still in control. There's nothing that's taking him by surprise. He still has a perfect plan. And we know, as we've been going through these different parables, uh, over these past, I don't know, what, six, seven Sundays? Um, they've all purposely had something to do with what? The coming and future kingdom of Jesus Christ here on earth. What we had to look forward to. And so as we look at what's going on in the world around us, we pray even more. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Set up your kingdom. Make things right. And that's the hope that we have, that no matter what kind of crazy is going on in this world, we have an eternal kingdom that is coming. It is promised to us. It is coming. And so because of that, we can worship God in the here and now and worship him for what's coming. So if you pull out your song sheet, you'll see our first song has everything to do with that, uh, the lion and the lamb. Kings and kingdoms 
break His broken hearts declare His praise For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion The lion of Judah He's roaring with power And fighting our battles And every knee will bow before Him Our God is a lamb The lamb that was slain And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. So open up the gates, make way before the king of kings. God who comes to save. Set the captives free For who can stop the Lord Almighty Our God is a lion The lion of Judah Is roaring with power And fighting our battles And every knee will bow before Him Our God is a lamb The lamb that was slain The sin of the world His blood breaks the chains the lion and the lamb, every knee will bow before them. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who Is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before him. Our God is a lamb, the lamb that was slain. The sin of the world, his blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. can think of one reason to praise the Lord. I should see everybody's hand up here. Okay, one reason. How many can think of a hundred reasons? I, I think we can all still keep our hands up. And even if I went up to 10,000 or a million, you'd still be able to raise your hands. Because if you really stopped and thought about it, every single thing about us, from the way our bodies work to the way our brains think, to the way that we, the, uh, the grass that grows, the trees that grow, the trees that bear fruit, the air we breathe, the way that things are calibrated perfectly for life on earth. We have so much to be thankful for. 
The families that God has given to us, the, the food that he's given to us, clothes, shelter. If you really sat down and listed out all the ways that you have to, to thank God and to bless him and to praise him, your hand would just cramp up from all the things that you would have to write. As we sing this next song, 10,000 Reasons, let's, as we sing it, go over things in your mind that you're thankful to God for. And as we sing this song, bless his name, praise him for all of those things. Like never before, oh my soul, all 
Here at our uh, ministry center, back over at the church when we resume services there, this upcoming week during VBS, or even when you're having your own devotional and, and prayer time with your Heavenly Father, God is there in our midst. He is moving, He is changing lives, He is providing in miraculous ways, He's pouring out His blessing. He's giving comfort and peace in the darkest of nights when, as David wrote, our beds are soaked with our tears. He is there with us. When the Lord Jesus was in the garden the night that he was arrested and he was praying, crying out to his heavenly Father and saying, Lord, take this cup from me if it's your will, but if it's not, I'm still going to go through it. And he was in so much distress that he was sweating drops of blood. Angels were still there, tending to his needs. Our God is always, even if it doesn't look like it, even if it doesn't seem like it, it even as this world is, is getting crazier and crazier, and we're dealing with uh, personal uh, issues and, and personal hurts and, and, and personal uh, heartbreak, we know, we know, we know, we know, confidently, 100%, without a doubt, our God is still moving. Our God is still working. Our God is still with us. He has a perfect plan, and nothing will thwart that plan. Touching every heart, 
thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful weather that we have once again. Every Sunday we've had these outdoor services over the past six weeks has been rain free. Thank you for that. We thank you that we've been able to come and find what shade we have and be able to worship you. Be able to worship you through song. Be able to worship you through prayer. Be able to worship you through reading and hearing from your word sitting at the feet of the Master as Mary did, soaking up your wisdom and your truth. Lord, we pray for our VBS starting this week over at the church. We pray that you would bless that. I pray that you would bless all the efforts of all those who have put so much hard work into making that happen, uh, even in connection and, and in spite of all these uh, continued state restrictions. So we can continue to serve our community and continue to tell them about Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that no matter what kind of crazy is going on in this world right now, 
No matter what kind of heartbreak we experience in our personal lives and in our families, your word always gives us what we need. It never returns void. Your word always goes forth, plants seeds of your wisdom and your truth in our hearts and bears fruit in our lives. So Lord, I pray that that would again happen right now. That we would uh, take the, the treasure that is your word and make it who we are. That we would become one with it. That we would take, draw out its wisdom and the riches of its grace and apply it to our lives and plant the seeds of its truth down into our hearts so that it not only affects us, but it changes us. It changes our lives because we know your, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go forth, churn in our hearts, make us be able to focus and, and see what needs to change in our lives. Give us the boldness and the power to change what needs to be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The term dragnet has had several different references over the modern years. I had to look all this up. Some of you know what dragnet is, but I had to look this up. I'm dating myself here. Um, it was a te radio, television, and film se uh, series starting in the 1950s, then it's experiencing reboots in the late 60s, and then again in the early 2000s. Dragnet was a highly influential show and was the first of its kind in the 50s to depict police detective stories. In fact, reruns are still being aired on the digital over-the-air broadcast station MeTV. I'm sure you guys, you've been flipping through the digital channels, you've, you've come across that. A little too black and white for me. But more recently, the term dragnet has always been used to describe gathering information on everyone in the area of a crime in order to narrow it down to a suspect. But again, this has become especially controversial in the light of Google tracking information on the phones of people in the area of a crime and artificial intelligence's facial recognition software to determine suspects. In our parable this morning, an actual dragnet is used with the same idea but for a greater purpose and a far greater reason than capturing a criminal. As we've seen week after week, as we've been having our drive-in and outdoor services, and we've been looking at the different parables of Jesus in Matthew 13, none of these have been haphazard, none of these have been random. We need to start with a clean slate in looking at these, because what we've discovered is that every single one of these parables in Matthew 13 has been Jesus revealing brand new information about the future kingdom he will establish on earth that previously had been unknown. In fact, none of Jesus' Jewish brothers and sisters had any clue of what he was referring to in the coming kingdom because none of it had been revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. Everything in each of these parables that we've been going through the past six weeks has all been information that had never before been heard or known by any human being in the history of the entire world. 
And as such, each of these parables are not just nice stories that Jesus used to illustrate different truths. These are treasure. These are treasure. These parables are powerful and crucial teaching devices to reveal truths no human being had heard or understood up to that point. Today's parable is no different. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 13, 47. If you brought your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew 13, verse 47. If you didn't, uh, you probably brought your smartphone with you. Go to your app store. Download the free Bible app from life.church. Uh, that's a pretty cool app. There's all kinds of reading plans and stuff on there, too. Uh, uh, download that. Look this up, too. Matthew 13, 47. I'm going to be in the New American Standard Bible version. Verse 47, we read, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. So the original meaning of the word dragnet was an actual dragnet. It was a giant net used for fishing, which according to one biblical scholar was much bigger than the usual nets that Peter, Andrew, James, and John would normally use. These dragnets were giant nets that kind of looked like the net part of a butterfly net with floaters on the top half and weights on the bottom half. So when you were a kid and you used to chase butterflies and try to capture them with a net, think about the net part of that net, just a million times bigger than that. And what the top of it had floaters to keep it on the surface of the water. And the bottom half of it had weights to keep it dragging along the bottom part of the water, the, the seabed. That way the net remained open while it was dragged across the seafloor and in theory would be able to catch a whole lot more fish than normal fishing nets could. So you can easily see how this term would be appropriated for police work. But here the dragnet is used to describe what will happen in connection with Jesus' coming and future establishment of his future kingdom on earth. The dragnet here is used, and understandably used, as it's dragged through the water and across the seabed. It captures all kinds of sea creatures. It's not just capturing one type of sea creature. If you're dragging this thing across a portion of a giant body of water, you're capturing all sorts of stuff. Some of these are not kosher, or not according to Jewish dietary law, such as the shellfish and other sea creatures. And some of these are fish, which are kosher and fit to eat, but some of these are good and healthy fish, and some of these fish are sick or already dead by the time that they get caught up in this net. Unlike the past few parables, Jesus does a pretty direct interpretation of who the different characters in this parable represent. For instance, these three categories of sea creatures will be important. Keep these three categories of sea creatures in your minds as we go through this parable. These will be important. Those that are not kosher at all, completely useless, and therefore to Jesus' Jewish listeners are not fit for consumption at all. Like I said, shellfish, lobsters, crabs, all that. All those who are good and healthy fish, that's the second category, and those that look like healthy fish to a certain extent 
But when, once you look at everything in the net, you would discover that they're really sickly or even dead already. So these fishermen, in Jesus' parable, throw the net into the sea. And one important note to make here, according to one biblical scholar, is that once that net is in the water, its design made it so that it was inescapable. You, there was no way you were getting out of this net. The way this net was designed, it was inescapable. Once you were in it, you stayed in it. There was no way you were getting out of it. And the way the drag net was designed, it was like a drawstring sack at the mouth of it. So think of that butterfly net again, just a million times bigger. And then around the edge of the mouth of it, there's a drawstring. So you can close it. You can close the opening. So what would happen was one end of this drag net, net was manned by men out in a boat in the water, and the other end was manned by men standing on the shore. So this thing wasn't completely handled by everybody in boats. Some men would be out in a boat in the water hand, handling one end of this net, and some men were actually standing on shore handling the other side of this net. Once dragged across the desired uh, area of the lake, those on the shore would pull up a, pull on the drawstring, seal up the net, and pull it back up to the shore. That's exactly what's described in the beginning part of verse 48. So we read, and when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. That's those, those, that, that's those men on the shore drawing that net back up on the beach, pulling on the drawstring and pulling it back up shore. The drag net is already pulled up onto the shore after it's used. It's never pulled back up into the boat. Why? Well, if you think about it, the whole point of it was to get as many fish possible in one haul, right? That would potentially sink a boat every time it's used. So this is my point. In theory, if one had a big enough, big enough drag net and had enough men on the shore and a big enough boat and enough men in the boat, you could drag this net across the entirety of a lake, across the entirety of a body of water, in theory. In that case, no fish in that lake, what does that mean then? No fish in that lake is safe from that net. And once you're in it, remember, you can't get out. It's inescapable. Since it's inescapable, no fish in that lake, sea creature or fish, no matter what the state of the fish is, can escape the fate purposed for every fish in that lake. Everybody with me so far? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that you are, because I can't really see too many of you. <laughs> so what do the men do with the fish at, once they drag that net back up on the shore? Well, let's get to the second part of verse 48 here. They drag the net up on the shore, and they sit down and gather the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So they drag the net back onto the shore and start separating up the fish according to those three categories. Remember, non-kosher, good, or sickly slash already dead. The good fish get piled up into baskets, while the non-kosher and sickly slash dead get thrown back into the water. That's the end of the parable itself. It, 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 it ends right there. But the bad 
they threw away. That's the end of the parable itself, right there, the second part of verse 48. They drag the net, uh, um, and again, the good fish get piled up into baskets, and everything else gets thrown back into the water. We'll see that this parable has similarities to the parable about the wheat and the tares, but a different emphasis. Like the parable of the leaven in comparison to the wheat and the tares, there's a different emphasis. So what's the explanation by Jesus? Well, we find that in verses 49 through 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Similar to the wheat and the tares, the bad is gathered up at the same time as the good and then separated out. The good is gathered up for use and the bad is thrown into the fiery furnace where they will eternally experience physical and emotional torment. But the wheat and the tares (coughs) is primarily only focused on the church. God is allowing those who only pretend like the tares, those weeds that look like wheat, that only pretend to be followers of Jesus or the tares to remain alongside the true followers of Jesus or the wheat in the church until he sets up his earthly kingdom. But the main difference between the wheat and the tares, that parable and today's parable, is that today's parable is about the entire world. You see the difference there? The wheat and the tares only focuses primarily on the church. This parable about the dragnet focuses on the entire world. And what will happen to every human being in existence in the world at the time of the establishment of his kingdom. That's why... That's why I said, in theory, one could drag this net across the entirety of a lake. Because in reality, this is the fate that awaits every single person that will be on the earth at the time Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. Again, like we've been talking about, this is a new piece of information about what will happen in connection with Jesus' earthly kingdom that previously had not been revealed to humanity up to that point. No one on earth knew anything about this. This tidbit of information reveals the state of the world at the moment Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. To understand that in the in light of the rest of Scripture, we need to place it in the context of what the rest of Scripture says about the end times and Jesus' millennial kingdom. From the Bible as a whole, we understand that end times events will occur in a certain order. At a point in time that could happen at any moment, even five seconds from now, Jesus will partially return to take those who are followers in Jesus right now up to be with him for the rest of eternity. Since that includes most, if not hopefully all of us here, or... or caring enough about watching this online, this is all we need to worry about as followers of Jesus right now. At that moment of time, like the twinkling of an eye, we will all be caught up, or in in a theological term for it, is raptured up to meet Jesus in the clouds. 
Those of us who have already passed away, but were followers in Jesus before death, get the blessing and the privilege of getting to see Jesus and each other first. Then those of us who are still living at that point will also join with them and meet Jesus in the clouds. We get to chill with Jesus up in, the, up in heaven during the entirety of what will happen next on earth. The next step in the order of the end times is what's known as the Great Tribulation. It's when God pours out his wrath and pays this world back for all the evil it's celebrated and taken part in. At first this sounds unfair for God to do that, but when we really stop and think about all the evil that has and continues to take place all around the world, it's a source of peace to know that the perfect justice of God will be doled out in this world. Those who are on the earth at that point are those who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus before he returned for his church. Theological viewpoints differ on this, but I believe that it's in agreement with God's grace that he continues to call some of these people left on earth to faith in Jesus during this time. There will all even be an underground church of these followers of Jesus in hiding. It's during this point of world history known as the Great Tribulation that the Antichrist will show up and eventually delude all of those who are not secretly followers of Jesus to believe that he's the real Messiah. According to Old Testament prophecy in the New Testament book of Revelation, the Antichrist is going to deceive all the leaders of the nations and most of the world's population at that point, excluding the Christians in hiding, to go to war against Israel. They will be partially successful and having partial victory. But then, out of nowhere, Jesus will erupt out of heaven with the armies of heaven at his back. Amen? Where will we be? Those of us who had previously been raptured and have been with Jesus all this time. Well, God promises that we will always be with Jesus from the moment of the rapture through all of eternity. So what does that mean? That means that we'll be right there at Jesus' back when he bursts out of heaven with the entirety of heaven's angelic military forces. What a sight that will be. Since Jesus' power is indescribable, all he will have to do is utter a word like a sword coming out of his mouth, and that entire global army will be annihilated. Jesus will set his feet upon the earth for the first time since he left it, about 2,000 years ago, on the Mount of Olives, and declare Jerusalem his capital city of his royal messianic kingdom. Satan will be captured and imprisoned for a thousand years, and the true kingdom of Jesus Christ will be founded here on this earth, racked with destruction, death, sickness, economic turmoil, and heartache. At that point, a time of abundance, prosperity, peace, and governmental stability, unlike anything the world has ever before seen, will be ushered in. And all of this is taken from the prophetic books of the Old Testament and the prophetic books of the New Testament. 
So what does this parable today have to do with all of that that I just kind of ran through? Well, I just described, albeit in a very simplistic way, the spiritual state of the world when Jesus sets his feet victoriously on the Mount of Olives. The dragnet and the separating angels are the judgment at the Battle of Armageddon, which is the battle I just described just before the Millennial Kingdom is established. Like I said, throughout the period of the Great Tribulation, which ends at that Battle of Armageddon that I just described the end result of, people will still be given the opportunity to put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness of their sins and the sealing of their heavenly home. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and become part of the underground church in hiding for fear of the Antichrist's relentless persecution during this great tribulation period of the world's story will be people from all kinds of backgrounds, nations, tribes, ethnicities, races, and languages, just like how it is now. And just like how verse 47 describes that fish of every kind will be included in that dragnet. That's one of the three categories included in the parable. The good fish. Those who, even though they missed the initial rapture, still put their faith and trust in Jesus and persevered through all the judgments of God on the world and the persecution of the Antichrist. Those who died during the Great Tribulation will be glorified in heaven, as Revelation 7 describes, and will probably return with Jesus right, a song, right alongside we who were previously raptured at the Battle of Armageddon. But there will be those who become followers of Jesus during the Great Tribulation who survive everything, including the Battle of Armageddon, since they weren't part of the Antichrist army. They survive everything. And they even see Jesus come down and set his feet on the earth, on the Mount of Olives. Those followers of Jesus will enter Jesus' earthly kingdom as the good fish. That's the interpretation of the good fish. Since they, who, since they will inter, enter the millennial kingdom in physical bodies, they will be able to have kids, unlike those of us who will already have glorified bodies at that point. Since this will be a time of abundance and blessing, and as scripture describes it, a time of long lifespans, these people are going to have a lot of kids. And those kids are going to have a lot of kids. And so on and so forth. These will be the citizens and subjects of this millennial kingdom. You wonder, there's a kingdom, who's going to be the citizens of that kingdom? Well, it's going to be these descendants of those who entered the kingdom. Those of us who returned with and behind Jesus at the Battle of Armageddon will have glorified bodies, and we will spend that thousand years serving Jesus as a part of his hierarchical government. Now what about the sickly or the fish who from a distance looked like living and healthy fish, but really were already dead? Well, similar to the wheat and the tares, these are those who made up the underground church but only pretended to be followers of Jesus. They might have been spies, even, sent by the Antichrist 
to exploit the underground church. Whatever the case is, these fish were only healthy by appearance, but inwardly and in reality, their faith is sickly and dead. These will get caught by the dragnet of judgment at the same time as the healthy and good fish, but they will be seen for what they really are and tossed into the fiery furnace just the same as the non-kosher sea creatures. And that's what brings us to the non-kosher sea creatures, or probably the easiest of the three categories of these sea creatures to interpret. These are obviously those who have not put any faith They didn't put any trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins during the entire Great Tribulation period, were deceived by the Antichrist into believing he was the true Messiah, joined his army, and attacked Jerusalem just before Jesus' second coming. There's no question about these people. There's an obvious difference between a lobster or a crab or an oyster and a fish. There's there's an obvious difference. All the angels need to do is take one glance at these and they get tossed into the fiery furnace. This is going to be a cold, hard truth to some people. But anyone who claims that they're just going to party with their friends in hell have got it horribly, terrifyingly wrong. Just like as Jesus describes in the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus describes the fate of all of those who don't actually ever put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, whether they look like a Christian or even even simply a good person, or they look like an evil person. It's all the same. The fate is the same for all of them. Exactly as described in verse 50. A furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We just celebrated the 4th of July last weekend when many people barbecue to celebrate. Anyone who has stood over a hot grill on a hot day knows how unbearable that is. Imagine being in that grill. And the description of weeping and gnashing of teeth is meant to describe the torment that will take place there. Gnashing of teeth is meant to describe the grinning of teeth in unbearable physical pain. Weeping is meant to describe the emotional torment that takes place there. And scripture describes this as an eternal state. You might say, why would a loving God do that? How could a loving God do that? But that's not the right question to ask. God does not need to defend himself. And the question should not be, why or how would or could a loving God punish people that way? But this should be the question we should be asking. Why or how should God provide an escape from that. Why or how should God have any grace over anybody and provide an escape from that? See, like we talked about with the parable of the wheat and the tares, our sin is rebellion against most holy God, whether or not we like it, whether or not we think that's right or not. That's not up for us to decide. We are the creation. That's not up for us to decide. That's up for, that's up to God to decide. Any right we think we have 
to have a say in that decision, you know, you know what that simply is? Proud delusion. That's all that is. Proud delusion. He is the one who created the universe. So it's his standard and it's his decision. Our opinion, believe it or not, does not matter. It does not matter in the least whether or not we agree with it. So as scripture describes, the payment for sin is exactly as what is revealed here in this description of hell. As one biblical scholar pointed out, it's especially poignant that these two descriptions, think about it, these two descriptions of what hell are like come from who? Come from Jesus himself. That's especially poignant. So to all those who claim that the Bible is true, but also turn around and say that hell isn't real, you're contesting Jesus himself and calling him a liar. And to those who have an oversimplified belief in Jesus and claim Jesus is all about love and would never do that to anyone, have obviously never read this parable we're talking about this morning. Here's why. If Jesus simply kept to the illustration in this parable, he could have simply said that the fishermen threw the non-kosher creatures and the sickly or dead fish back into the sea, which is what they would do in real life. But he doesn't say that. He purposely takes it one step further. Jesus makes a point of graphically describing what would happen to the people that these creatures and sickly or dead fish represented. We need to let that sink in. Jesus had no reason to do that unless he wanted to powerfully lay out this truth. But because God is loving, he provided a way of escape from that eternal fate. He paid the payment for us in the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God coming to earth and dying on the cross. But we must recognize that way of escape. See, one could break you out of prison, but you have to run out the door. You have to be the one to run out the prison door. If you don't run out that door, you're still not free, no matter if somebody shows up and breaks you out. You're still not free unless you run out that door. The way of escape is simply to be honest. Honest with yourself, and honest with God. The way of escape is to recognize that you're a sinner and your sin warrants the just and well-deserved payment of what's described in verse 50, that furnace of fire. The way of escape is to recognize that Jesus took your place and paid your payment for you. The way of escape is for you to then ask God for forgiveness of your sin in light of what Jesus did for you, taking your place. And the way of escape is for you to recognize who broke you out of the prison of sin, of death, and of hell for who he really is. We just spent the majority of this message looking at who Jesus really is, the true king. If we recognize him for who he really is in the here and now, the true king, then we also serve him and please that true king with our lives in the here and now. 
That's the way of escape. It's really very simple, like we discussed not too long ago about the mustard seed. It's really very simple. We as humans like to overcomplicate things. But scripture flat out does not say anything about being good enough. In fact, it says time and time again the complete opposite, that none of us is good enough to get into heaven. The only way for us to escape the furnace of fire is to recognize and be honest with who we really are, that we're sinners and we need to be saved from that sin and we need a way of escape. All of the promises of God in Scripture that should have come true by now have come true. So all of the promises of God about the future will also come true. Don't delude yourself. All of the promises of God will eventually come true. That includes all of this end time stuff we talked about today. Similar to the wheat and the tares, we all need to make a decision in this life, even today, even right now, if we haven't already. If you've spent your entire life trying to look like a follower of Jesus or thinking that you're just good enough, but you've never actually made a decision to put your faith and trust in his forgiveness and salvation because of what he did on the cross, you know what awaits you. We all do. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? It's not worth waiting and seeing what happens, seeing how it will all pan out, because by that point it will be too late. It's not worth waiting. We already know how it will all pan out. All you're doing by your waiting is sealing your own fate of headed for the furnace of fire. The time for games is over. Your eternity is not worth playing around with. That is not something you want to be playing around with. Today, finally make the decision to give your life to the true king. He will set up his kingdom one day. That's happening. That's coming. Are you going to be in it? Or are you going to be experiencing eternal, physical, and emotional torment, eternally separated from holy and loving and mighty God? If you're hearing this for the very first time and have never really thought about it, you now have no excuse. I'm sorry. You've heard it. You can't unhear it. So now you're responsible for what you'll do with it. Will you accept it or will you reject it? I might sound harsh right now, but that is how crucial this is to your life. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Your soul is way too important to be messing around with. Right now, you're one of those non-kosher sea creatures. Don't get thrown into the furnace of fire. I implore you. I plead with you, surrender your life to the king right now. You know what's coming. There's no reason to wait anymore. And the longer you wait, the more you seal your eternal fate. And to those who have asked Jesus for forgiveness and have surrendered their lives to him as king, be reminded of the promises of God. 
No matter how crazy this world gets, and this pandemic has proven it can get quite crazy, Jesus is coming back for us. He will come with the, with the trumpet and the shout of an archangel, and we will be, be taken up to be with him. And we will be with him for all of eternity. And we will be a part of his millennial kingdom, serving him with, with glorified bodies. But that's not entirely future. Let that affect us and impact how we live our lives now. Let us bring as many people as we can with us. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the leaven, let us hasten Jesus' return for us by sharing the gospel with one more person each day. We don't know. That could be the very last person God has chosen before he tells Jesus, all right, son, it's time to go get your church. That could be the very last person. And if you've been what is interpreted as a sickly or dead fish, in other words, you've just been pretending to be a Christian for decades, maybe even your entire life, I want you to be shaken up. Let God's word shake you up. You can't pretend anymore. There will be no pretending at the end of this age. You will be seen for what you really are. Finally, actually make that decision today and become one of those good fish that will enter the kingdom. The full kingdom is still future, but it should infiltrate every area of our lives now. How we're living now, how we're obeying the teaching of God's word now, how we're interacting with others, even if it's virtually at this point, how, what we're placing our hope in now, and what we're looking forward to now. This world is not our home, thank God. And these bodies are not ours to do with as we please anymore. Scripture is very clear about that. You have been bought with an impossibly high price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Your body is not yours anymore to do with as you please. You must surrender it to the will of God and use it to please Him. And this world is not our home. Don't place any more stock in this world. It is only passing away. We have been bought with an impossibly high price. The very blood of that king. That king that will set up his kingdom. So let us daily sacrifice and surrender ourselves to the king's service. Here and now. Looking forward to serving that king in his future kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this very powerful parable. I pray that we, if we are one of those non-kosher sea creatures or one of those fish that are only pretending to be alive, but we really have no faith, Lord, today, I pray, would be the day of their salvation. I pray that today they would finally recognize who they are in light of your holiness and ask for your forgiveness of their sins in light of what Jesus has done for them on the cross, taking their place knowing what awaits for them if they don't do that. And Lord, we thank you in your love and your mercy and your grace for providing a way of escape, that we recognize that and we take a hold of that. And we ask you for the forgiveness of our sins and we take you as our king and we serve you with our lives in the here and now. Lord, it's so simple. So Lord, I pray that you take away any distraction 
or anything preventing us from making that decision if we haven't already. And we will finally make that right now. Those of us who have made that decision even decades ago, I pray that you would fill us, renew us with a, with a, with a peace and a strength and a boldness and a power of knowing what's coming and, and having that impact our lives right now. Having that fill us with indescribable, unexplainable peace. And having that fill us with strength and boldness we've never before experienced to go out and share your gospel with one more person. And let us glorify you with our bodies and with everything that we are. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close out our time this morning uh, with a very famous hymn entitled Blessed Assurance. Those who have never made that decision to ask Jesus for forgiveness of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation and their eternity, they do not have assurance. Well, they, had, they do have assurance, but it's assurance of the fiery furnace. That's the only assurance that they have. But we who have made that decision, we who have been called to faith in Jesus Christ and have answered that call, we have everything to look forward to. We have that peace in the here and now. We surely and truly have blessed assurance.
Brothers and sisters, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, do so right now. And those of us who do, let us live the rest of our lives with this blessed assurance. The kingdom is coming. We are a part of it. Go in peace. Amen.